Well, good morning, everyone. I am uh, Papa to seven incredible grandchildren. Uh, if I'm if I'm the Papa for this place, all of a sudden I feel really old. And no, you're not in the will. Eager to share with you this morning what I shared in the first service, and Chris is right. We're talking about altered outcomes. I don't know all that 2019 has been for you. I don't know all that 2020 holds for you, but I know that the key player in all of this is Jesus with you, you with Jesus. When I have you open your Bibles if they're uh, available to you, if not, some of the scriptures will be on the screen, but I want to talk to you from a a passage of scripture that uh, really is familiar to a lot of people inside and outside of the church. Some people outside of the church might not know that this is a Bible story when they reference David and Goliath, but uh, it's a Bible story. Wonderful story. I hope it will be an encouragement to you. 1 Samuel 17, going to simply read verse 22 through 26 and then reference a lot of verses through that chapter as the message unfolds. The Bible said in verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He had been sent by his daddy to show up where his brothers were enlisted serving with King Saul. A Philistine invasion had occurred, and so his daddy had sent him with a cartload of cheese and breads and that kind of thing to be a blessing to his brothers and to their their, uh, company commander. So David had those things, and he left them with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath... This giant, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Verse 26, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done? It's like, say what? Become the king's son-in-law, marry one of those gorgeous daughters of the king and, and, and not pay taxes myself and my family? Whoa! So David says to the men standing, but what will happen for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here, that you're at the NAC campus, that you are working in powerful ways in Duncan and Diebold, that you are a speaking God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that this story that to many will feel familiar will have a fresh meaning by the end of this day. Lord, that you would work in us. Lord, I pray you would speak through me as we engage the Scripture, your Holy Word that is viable and right as a gauge and direction for life. So we bless you and ask for your great help and expect it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a kid, I loved Westerns, Western movies. And our culture 
loved Westerns, the way our culture loves Star Wars, the way our culture loves the whole uh, Avengers and Batman and Superman, all, and all of our culture loved Westerns, and I was a, I was a part of the, of the culture. And, and don't judge me, don't judge my parents, they let me watch as many Westerns as I could stand, and I could stand a lot of them. I, I loved the big saloon brawls. I just loved it. You know, I mean, you know, real human beings can't get chairs smashed over their, their head or thrown out through glass that, you know, would sh- shred or, you know, just shred them in real life, but not in Hollywood, out through the window. I loved watching them get up and knock somebody down, and they would get up and knock them down. I just, call me sick, and you'll be accurate. So I love, and I love the horsemanship. I, I grew up riding horses. We just loved to be on horseback. And, uh, and I learned how to do a bunch of the trick riding that I saw them do on the Westerns. And, you know, look, mom, no hands. Look, mom, no feet. Look, mom, no teeth. It was, you know, just a lot of fun. Not only did I love the Western movies, but I, I liked the Western ballads. A Western ballad. Now, Some of you will know who I'm talking about, the rest of you won't, and some of you will YouTube this later and watch Marty Robbins, the great ballad singer of the 50s and 60s, and he sang some of the most wonderful Western ballads. A Western ballad is a verbal movie in four minutes. So Marty Robbins would sing these Western movies in four minutes, and one of my favorites of his is the classic ballad, Big Iron. Big Iron, yes, some of you, hey, you're way too young to know Big Iron, but you do, and so I'm sure some of you Nacogdoches are saying, Big Iron, and others are saying, huh? But that's okay, so the Big Iron, it, it, it's about an Arizona ranger to the town of Agua Fria, rode a stranger one fine day, hardly spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say, no one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip, for the stranger there among them had a Big Iron on his hip. That's a pistol, a big iron on his hip. Then the lyrics go on and tell us that he's looking for an outlaw by the name of Texas Red. Many men had tried to take him, and that many men were dead. He was vicious and a killer, though a youth of 24, and the notches on his pistol numbered one and 19 more. One and 19 more. I love Gary Cooper in High Noon. Stepping out to face these three bad hombres, all by himself, facing them in the showdown. I, I love Magnificent Seven, Denzel Washington. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, Denzel Washington. And, okay, all right, I digress. But I love those, I love the showdowns. It's just, it's just wonderful. Why am I telling you about Marty Robbins in this ballad? Because the ballad Marty Robbins sang and the Westerns most of the time are all about some naive cowboy that is going to face his sure and certain death at the hands of some some fancy gunslinger. That's what the people around were probably thinking about David as David walked out into the valley to face Goliath. In, In southern terms, several in the lines were probably saying, bless his heart. I grew up in Arkansas. I know what bless his heart means. Good hearted. Dumb as a bag of rocks, bless his heart. 
What can this story that's so familiar, what after 3,100 years of time sliding past the moment in that field in Israel where David defeated Goliath, what, haven't all the Sunday school teachers by this time rubbed off all of the shine from this story? And, and haven't all of the sportscasters who, who declare this is a real David and Goliath match, we feel bad for the kids from Kansas as they face the Tar Heels, but you know, it's a David and Goliath match or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I'd have used Texas teams, but I have, you know, the only negative team I could have referenced was the Dallas Cowboys, and I thought that might get me shot. So <laughs> by no one except my daughter-in-law. But for Christmas, I wore a Dallas Cowboys jersey just for her, and, uh, and she acted like she liked her father-in-law, and I'm really glad. <laughs> but the people were watching David walk out toward the giant, and they were in essence saying, as many men that have tried to take Goliath, that many men are dead, and this young man is about to be another statistic. It was a bad deal. Today, I want to talk to you about altered outcomes. Let me start with the end in mind. Let me give you the moral of the story in this first moment. The moral of the story is this. Is it alcoholism? Is it abuse? Is it anxiety? Is it anger? Is it, uh, is it poverty? Is it a broken marriage? Whatever has been happening in your situation, maybe it's only been 2019. Maybe it's been for the last 10 years, maybe it's been for the last 45. I don't know your context, but whatever foregone conclusion has taken hold of you like a vice grip around your throat, whatever foregone conclusion has taken you, somebody needs to bring a slight adjustment to that foregone conclusion and challenge impossible circumstances. Challenge the situation and believe today that outcomes can be altered just because you show up. Let's, let's talk about this story. Altered outcomes. The challenges that Israel was facing in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the challenges were somewhat similar to what many of us in this room, and maybe if not you, at least people you know, are, are or were facing. Number one, we've experienced invasion. Verse number one, that uh, uh, in the chapter, if you read it later, you'll see it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. Notice it didn't say they assembled just beyond in their own territory. It's like they had maybe infiltrated. They had, had snuck in under the cover of nightfall. Some way or the other, they got their garrisons in place, and the invasion was already in full-blown exposure when the sun came up that morning. It was an invasion of massive proportions and an invasion that had drastic results if they did not get it stopped. So we've faced, all of us in this room have experienced an invasion. Our country has experienced an invasion. I'm not talking about people that are, are invading our country from another physical locale. I'm not talking about a political ideological invasion that has occurred. I'm talking about an invasion of a real live devil. Now your pastor in the message series uh, based, on, based on Psalm 23 talked a little bit about this when he preached that message about uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. If you've not watched that series, uh, you, you need to do yourself a favor and hop online and watch it off of the archives of this great church. But he addressed this a little bit that there really is a real devil, not in spandex and carrying a pitchfork, but there is a real devil. 
you and I live in a first world country, even our poorest are better off most of the time than the people around the world that are not living in our country. I'm telling you, there is a real devil, and he doesn't just show up in Haiti in voodoo rituals. He is moving, he's alive and well, and he has you in his crosshairs. Not only does he have those in this room today in his crosshairs, but if you have kids they are in his crosshairs. If they're in the service or if they're over in the great uh, kids' work area, uh, the people there ministering to them at their age level. Listen, your children, our grandchildren, need a full-sized Holy Spirit working in their life because the devil is sending full-sized demonic oppression against them. A pint-sized religious Holy Spirit, a pint-sized religious Jesus is not enough to deal with what has invaded our land. The devil is real, but don't, don't get nervous. When I was a kid, stay all night with my cousins, and they loved to talk about things about demons. And by the time midnight would come, we were all covered up with our heads under the sheets and scared spitless because we were talking about demons and demon possession and all kinds of ridiculous stuff. But the point is, while I don't need to fixate, you don't need to fixate on the fact that there's a real devil, you do need to be aware that he has devices. The Bible said the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. He is not a figment of some demented preacher's imagination. He is a real enemy, and we need to understand that we have experienced invasion. Number two, similar today as it was in that, first, in that uh, 3,100 years ago story, many have assumed a defensive posture. Verse 2 and 3, Saul, the Israelites assembled, they camped in the valley of Elah, they drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley in between them. I, I wasn't much of a basketball player in high school. You can look at my height and, and say, well, I wonder why he wasn't much of a basketball player. But uh, I, I played 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. I was a starter all three years. I had 22 in my graduating class. That may tell you why I got to be a starter. Uh, in, in my 10th grade year, our record was 0 and 21. Yeah, that bad. Oh, yeah, it was, it was ugly. It was ugly. Our second year, we won three games. My third year, my senior year, we won seven games. If I'd have just stayed in high school for another 17 years like my dad did, we would have... That's a joke. Okay. It was horrible. But what little bit I did learn about basketball is this. It's wrapped up in this one, one thought. You cannot win by playing not to lose. Jesus has not called you to just hang on for 2020. He's calling you and me to play to win. You can't repel an invasion of the demonic with human ingenuity and playing not to lose. It's all in if you want altered outcomes. All in for Jesus if you want altered outcomes. If you want your finances better, you got to be all in with how Jesus says to handle your money. If you want your marriage to be better, you got to be all in and live, live your life as a married couple the way Jesus says married couples need to live. If you want to be all in, you can have altered outcomes. Many have assumed instead a defensive posture. Number three, some of us allow the enemy 
to define our strategy. Verse 8 through 11 gives the story that Goliath steps out on day one as they're facing off on the hills. And day one, Goliath, this huge giant, steps out and says, send me out a man that we might do battle. If I win, all of you become our servants. If he wins, we will become your servants. Send me out a man. There's no need for everybody to to face battle. Just one-on-one, mano a mano, let's do this thing and we will end the battle quickly. Let's do it. Well, fear and dismay always result when we listen to the negative voices in our head and it always results when we listen to the enemy's voice. Just a question. Who gave Goliath permission to set the rules of engagement? Why did the Israelites, back to my great theological upbringing of watching Westerns, cowboys and Indian movies, some of my favorite scenes were when those, those very ingenious Native Americans would, in the dark of night, hide themselves under sand and brush in the valley. And when the unsuspecting wagon train would be coming by, or when that unsuspecting cavalry troop would be coming by, they would spring up and surprise them and win the day. Why, why didn't some Israelite soldiers, in the middle of the night, sneak down and camouflage themselves? And the next morning, when Goliath was about halfway through his, his big speech, send me out a man that we were... Why? Here's why. Because they were listening to the wrong voice. They were listening to the voice in their head that said, I can't do anything about this. They were listening to the enemy's voice who said, this is the way it should play out. You are listening to the enemy's voice when you start believing you cannot do what God says you can do. You're listening to the enemy's voice when you start attributing to yourself behaviors and and values that God says he doesn't hold about you. When you start saying, I'm worthless, I'm a nobody. When Jesus is saying at the same time, you are worth, you are worth something. I gave my blood to give you life. You're valuable to me. When we start listening to those wrong voices, then it's obvious that we've allowed the devil to define our life strategy. Altered outcomes depend on us not allowing that to happen. Number four, so similar, comparing capacities and internalizing the very obvious deficit, the obvious deficit. Verse 33, King Saul says, uh, David, you're, (laughs) you're a youth, and Goliath has been a warrior since he was a youth. You can't take him. The veterans in the camp, which was everyone except David, the veterans could not see the fresh solution to their dilemma because the fresh solution looked like David. Newsflash, you may not see the solution to your dilemma because the solution is staring back in the mirror, looking at you in the eyes, and you see someone who's failed, someone who set goals and didn't reach them before, someone who made promises and didn't keep them. But I want you to know that things can be different because Jesus wants 2020 to be different. And if you'll go all in, all in, 2020 can be a better year. Comparing your capacities against what the devil and what the enemy has, yes, it looks looks pretty bad. But the problem, the problem, the veterans there in the Israelite army, the veterans had forgotten who they were. 
They saw themselves as Saul's army. David saw them as the army of the Lord. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Perhaps even a more important question, whose are you? If you own yourself, the ownership is really iffy. If you have submitted, if I have submitted to Jesus and he's the owner, then anything that 2020 throws at you or me, we can deal with it, we can go through it if we see him as our source and not just ourselves as our source. So how do we get to altered outcomes? In your notes, you may want to to notice there in verse 20, minimal changes to configuration. Minimal changes to configuration. Verse 20 says that David came into the camp. David came into the camp. 40 days, nothing had changed except that one young man who was who was just so in love with God, so enamored with the capacity of his Lord, that when he showed up, everything changed. Now, people may not realize it. The veterans didn't understand it. But when David showed up, everything changed. The question for us is, will you show up? Will you show up? Will you just phone it in? Will you just punch the clock and make another 2,000 hours of labor this year at your job? Or will you show up as a game changer that you are? David came into the camp, and when a child of God actually shows up, something shifts. When you and I arrive in a situation with expectancy of who Jesus is and what he can do, everything can begin to shift. Number two. Oh, and by the way, if you're real... Um, concerned about filling in the blanks. You are a game changer is what you're supposed to fill in there. But don't just fill it in, believe it. You are a game changer. You say, oh, Terry, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 70s. I'm in my 80s. I can't change any games. You are primed to be a game changer. You are primed to be a game changer. I'm only 18. I, you are primed to be a game changer. Number two, altered outcomes pivot on a different perspective on the situation. I love verse 23. Goliath makes his challenge and the Bible says, and David heard it. David heard it. Somebody has to start listening with ears that are different than everybody else's ears. David heard it. After 40 days, everything changed because one person paid attention to what was being said and recognized the lie that he was hearing. And he was incensed over it. David wasn't arrogant, although his brother said he was. And he didn't waste time fussing with his detractors. He said, I want to figure out what will happen when I take this giant down. He had a different perspective. Altered outcomes, number three, pivot on indignation at the intolerable condition. Indignation at the intolerable condition. David's reaction was different from the mass reaction. Notice if you have your Bibles open, you'll see it in verse 20, the surface commitment of the veterans. It says in verse 20 that they took up their position shouting the battle cry. Shouting the battle cry. I don't know exactly what it sounded like, but I'm sure if they had swords, they were rattling their swords and beating their swords against their shield and, and saying, yeah, yo mama, as, you know, whatever, whatever Israelites said to their enemies back in the day. I don't know what they said, but it says they were shouting the battle cry. 
They were, they were pumping themselves up. Chest bumps and all this stuff. They had done that for 40 days. They must have believed the old axiom, fake it till you make it. Now there is something to be said for putting a smile on your face and going to work, punching the clock and doing your job and doing it well. There's something to be said, fake it till you make it. Just, you know, don't give up, keep pushing. There's something to be said for that as a stopgap. But if that's like the foundation on which you're building life, it's not going to help. It's not going to work for very long. These Israelite soldiers were faking it, hoping they would make it. But when Goliath comes out and roars and starts to say, send me out a man, they stop shouting yo mama and they start running away saying, mama, mama. (laughs) That's what they were doing. But listen to verse 26. It said in verse 26, David asked the men standing, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Listen to this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, if you're not in church much, or maybe if you've been in church a long time, maybe you still have the same question. Why the fixation on male foreskins? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What is that all about? Abraham, the father of the Israelite people, God gave a sign of covenant promise. And it happened to be circumcision. I don't know why it wasn't like, you know, put a little scar on your pinky finger. I I don't know. But God chose circumcision. What circumcision declared to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to the Jewish faithful through through each generation was, if you're circumcised, you understand that you are in a covenant promise relationship with your God. And so what David is saying is, Guys, we are standing under a covenant of promises from God. Who does this guy think he is? He doesn't have the promise of God. That's what he's saying. Now, in this New Testament era, circumcision is no longer the expression of the covenant of God with human beings. The cross of Jesus and the empty tomb is his promise, his sign of covenant with human beings. He established a a new covenant. And if you are in relationship with Jesus, I'm telling you and want you to believe it, that you can rise up with the same attitude of David and say to your situation, who is this guy? This thing that I'm facing that I've, have carried since however far back 2019 or beyond, this thing I'm facing, this thing doesn't have covenant promises, but I do. My marriage has covenant promises. I have covenant promises as a, as a man who's following Jesus, as a student in high school. I have covenant promises. Who does this being, who does this situation, what does it think it is? David was ready to do something and altered outcomes, pivot on indignation at intolerable conditions. You see, acquiescence. Oh, well. Oh, well. This is the way it is. Acquiescence was not an option to David. David was prepared only to live at his maximum potential and see altered outcomes. Number four, altered outcomes pivot on leaders taking calculated risks. Verse 39 and verse 40 kind of unfolds David's interactive conversation with King Saul. The king heard that David was 
was kind of talking smack that he could do something about this problem out in the field. And he calls David in and he says, son, you're, you're a kid. He's been a warrior since he was a kid. I don't know, you know, you really don't understand. You're starry-eyed. You're, you're, just, you're young and dumb. You really don't know much about what's going. Instead of staying in that kind of thinking, he instead allowed David to take a risk allowed David an opportunity to try something. In essence, Saul chose to become an encourager of the next generation. Have you, have you noticed, now it's nobody, nobody in, in Lufkin, no one over in Nacogdoches, but, but there are some people in Deep East Texas that they, like, they, they specialize in discouraging people. Now see, none of you are in this room, but if I ask you to raise your hand, uh, I bet everybody in this place would say, yeah, I know someone that their favorite thing to do is rain on my parade. Any hands? Yeah, you could, you could put a name to that. I decided, my wife Karen decided a long time ago that our meter would be stuck on encouragement. That we're going to look at the next generation and those who are our peers and we're going to be encouragers. I want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, well, yeah, we tried that in 1974 and it didn't work then and it won't work now. I want to be the guy that says, there's a God living inside of you. You can do anything Jesus asks you to do. You can conquer any situation that Jesus asks you to conquer. That's the kind of people that we need to be. Listen, it's a lot more attractive to people if we're Christians who are like encouraging as opposed to people who are always down in the mouth, always doubting. And listen, listen, whatever CNN says, whatever Fox says, don't pick up the tone of, of the media. Pick up the tone of the master. Pick up the tone of Jesus. What Sean Hannity says is not nearly as important. What, what CNN says is not nearly as important. What Mr. Trump says is not nearly as important. What Mrs. Pelosi says is not nearly as important as what Jesus says. And listen, here's a news flash. The day is coming that the United States of America will bow its knee and no longer exist as a government or a nation. But every knee will bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And every, every tongue will confess all over this world, including these 50 United States of America. And they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to be about encouraging people in who Jesus is. Don't get sidetracked with the political nonsense. Get sidetracked and on track with who Jesus is and his solution and presence. Well, I wish I'd have said that in the first service. I can't wait to hear what I say next. Mm. Cheer others on. Make encouragement your native tongue. Let's just get on with this thing. Let's be game changers and do it together. Altered outcomes, number five. I'm almost done. Can you take just a few more minutes? I'm almost done, so... So if you can't, please don't hurt my feelings by, you know, leaving in mass. It'll, it'll just, it'll ruin. I'm a pretty sensitive guy. <laughs> I'm glad Jeremy's not here to say, right. Altered outcomes. Pivot on different weapons. Verse 45. David says, yeah, I see what you're doing, Goliath. 
David goes out. He has a bag hanging over his shoulder. In the bag are five smooth rocks. Five smooth rocks. He has a, a sling, a couple of pieces of leather, and a pouch. The idea with a sling is you put a rock in it and you whirl it around. I, I tried this once. I broke my Aunt, broke my aunt Lois's window. I was aiming there and her window was there. If you let go of the, of the rope at the wrong time of one of the leather straps, because you got to let go of a strap and, you know. I wasn't any good with it. And my parents wouldn't let me keep practicing. <laughs> so I never got good with the sling. But David says, I, I, I see what you're doing, Goliath. Goliath has his homeboy out there carrying his, his shield out in front of him and, and, and he's, he's chanting and trying to get the troops, you know, and the Philistines to all do a big wave, you know, and they're cheering big, you know, it's like the Cowboys have just taken the field and all seven fans are cheering like crazy. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, and how many love the Cowboys? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about altered outcomes. <laughs> oh, I got to quit. I gotta, I'm, I'm almost done, and I'm, and I'm just digging a hole. David says, I see what you're doing with your homeboy out there carrying your shield and trying to get everybody all worked up. He, he's, he's talking smack, and, and all of the buddies out there on the hill. Yeah, I see that. And, and Goliath, I see your sword. It's as long as my body is. I get that. And you've got a big spear strapped on your, across in the middle of your shoulders, and that thing is huge. I couldn't even pick it up if I had to. I see what you have. I see the weapons you have. But if you read the Bible later, you'll notice that David did not say, I see your spear and I see your sword, but look here, buddy. I'm good at this. Man, I've knocked enough bark off trees. I can strike a match at 100 yards. I'm good with this, baby. He didn't say that. He said, you come to me with sword and spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you not with what I have, not even with what I have confidence in, not even that which I'm good at. I don't come, if you want altered outcomes and you focus on what you're good at or I focus on what I'm good at, I'm telling you the devil will beat you to a pulp. But if you come in the name of the Lord, what you're facing cannot stand up against the name of the Lord. The Bible said the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and are saved I come to you with a different weapon positive thinking is not going to give you altered outcomes but if you positively walk in the name of the Lord altered outcomes are in your future what I have is enough when submitted to him what I have is enough when submitted to him 2 Corinthians 10 4 Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Corinthians 6, 7, Paul said, I have weapons of righteousness in my right hand and in my left. Listen, when you and I buckle on those truths, we are ready to produce altered outcomes. When submitted to him, what you have is enough. When submitted to him, what you have. Is enough. I don't care how long it's lingered. I don't care how deeply ingrained that habit is. What you have is enough when submitted to Him. And finally, altered outcomes. Pivot on believing big. Verse 46. 
I just, I just love this part of the story. David says, after Goliath had said, I'm going to feed your body to the birds. I'm going to turn you into bird feed. David says, no, you're not. I'm going to turn you into bird feed. So, okay, talking smack to each other, that's fine. But notice what he says in verse 46. Something, something trips inside of him. If you want altered outcomes, you can't just focus on the fact that you've got a big obstacle in front of you. You've got to realize that there's other things beyond it that you're going to have to walk through as well. But you've got to have expectation for beyond the moment. You're going to whip this thing, and then you're going to face something else. And David all of a sudden gets anointed, and he says, I'm not only going to feed you to the birds, I'm going to feed the carcass of every one of these soldiers. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life that I've I've been praying and I've been getting this sense of anointing and I'm getting all excited and, and I start confessing things of the Lord and I start confessing his word and his promises and then I start saying things that when I realize what I'm saying, I'm going, did I really say that? And I realize that the spirit of God is rising up in me. Believe big. Believe big. Don't just expect that 2019, you're going to get free of some habits that have been holding you back. That 2019 was, was, was some situation that was ingrained that you could not fix. Don't just believe that it's going to be fixed sometime in 2020. But understand that God is wanting to set you and me on a trajectory that says we're going to overcome this presenting problem. And we're going to overcome its backup problem and everything behind it. We're going to overcome it. Why? Because there's a God living inside of us believe big so let today mark the beginnings of altered outcomes 2020 can turn out better it won't be perfect your pastor and team are going to be preaching a series of messages about about a better 2020 but it can be better if we make some slight consistent adjustments and on your the bottom of your message map there's a couple of questions I hope you'll either text them to yourself or just take a picture of it and send that picture to yourself and post it somewhere so for the next couple of months, you're going to be wrestling with and prayerfully addressing this question, these questions. When I show up, do situations improve or do they remain unchanged? Or the second question, what needs to change in me so my life delivers altered outcomes? September the 10th, 1978, at about 6... 55 in the evening, my life was transformed. I heard a female voice behind me saying, excuse me, are you Terry Yancey? And I turned and I saw Karen Jean Swadley. We'd been set up on a blind date. She was blind and I was the date. <laughs> Thank you for tolerating that ridiculous joke. I was scared to death to meet her. Don't know why, I just was. And she spoke and said, excuse me, are you Terry Yancey? And when I turned and saw her, the spirit of Jesus spoke to me and said, that's the girl you're going to marry. I knew. I knew. I've never doubted it. There have been a few times she has, but there's never been a... She's never talked about divorce, but she has considered murder multiple times. But my life was changed. But I want to tell you that as holy and desirous to serve God as she was and I was, hormones 
out, out distance holiness if given the opportunity. She was 18, I was 19, and I led her into a sinful situation, got her pregnant. I wanted to marry her anyway, but the, the deck was stacked against us. Teen pregnancy, teenage marriage, neither one of us having tremendously marketable skills. She had a nice little job working for an uh, orthodontist, and I worked for the Jones Store Company unpacking boxes, neither with a huge career track in it. Both of us had a call of God on our lives, yet I had led us into a place that all of society said within just a few months, probably no more than a few years, the Terry and Karen story will end. The son they have will grow up in a single parent home. But Karen and I decided our yesterdays don't have to determine our tomorrows. The mistakes that we made that stacked the deck against us by our choices, those don't have to determine what our tomorrows will look like. Those of you in NAC, those here at the Lufkin campus, Diebold Duncan unit, you need to hear this. Whatever society says is impossible. If you have Jesus and you consistently submit to Jesus, altered outcomes will be your portion. Karen and I were faced with choices. We made godly choices. Your pastor, Jeremy, is an altered outcome. His wife, Janet, and their two kids are a result of an altered outcome. Our second son came along three and a half years after Jeremy. He and his wife, their three boys, pastor a great church in Ottawa, Kansas. Altered outcomes. Three and a half years after Jared, so seven years after Jeremy, our Lacey was conceived and born. She was our surprise. Best surprise we ever had. Best surprise we ever had. And she and her husband had planted a church over four years ago in Manhattan, Kansas. And, and on this past Easter, between this church that Jeremy and Janet serve as lead pastors and in Ottawa where Jared and Lindsay serve as lead pastors and in Manhattan where Lacey and Troy serve as lead pastors. The combined attendance of the multiple Easter services was larger than the entire population of the town in the first church where Karen and I pastored. I'm talking about altered outcomes. I'm talking about altered outcomes. LFA by itself this is not LFA. Boy, do old habits die hard. Timber Creek Church. One church, multiple locations. I know that. But with your Christmas services alone, 4,800 people, you had more people exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ in your Christmas services, just, just the LFA church body, the Nacogdoches location, the Dieball Duncan units, and the LFA, and the whoever this is, whoever you are. For those of you young aspiring preachers, this is 101 on how not to wrap up a story. But are you with me? In just your Christmas services alone, there was more in attendance at this, this campus family than in the entire population of the first church we pastored in Kansas. Why am I saying it? 
the deck may be stacked against you. And you may have been the one that shuffled the deck and got yourself in this situation. But God doesn't care who shuffled the deck. God cares about whether or not you want and are willing to work with him to have an altered outcome. It's not hopeless unless you give up hope in Jesus. I want to ask you to do a simple favor, favor for yourself really. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. I want everybody, Dieball, Duncan, Knack, right here in Lufkin, put your hand on your heart and let me pray over you. Lord, every one of us in these multiple locations, one great church in multiple locations, we, we all have a past. But Lord Jesus, I thank you that we have a future. And the foregone conclusions need not be what everybody else assumes. Lord, our future is bright because of our yielding to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that men and women in this room and in Knack that have put their hand on their heart. Maybe they're not following Jesus. Maybe Jesus is not the Lord, the center of their life. But I pray today would be the day that they say, Jesus, I want to start a journey and I want you to become the center of my life because as I project down the road, I see the outcomes. I want them altered. I don't want it to end the way that it looks like it should. You're a way maker, Jesus. Make a way for me. So I speak blessing in life. I pray, Lord Jesus, if you don't come back in 2020, that 2020 will be a better year, a year of altered outcomes as men and women, children, students, yield themselves to the God of David, who is the God who can alter outcomes by the powerful name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen.